have uh, knee injuries, and like Paul, there was a lot, so I'm going to kind of rush through a bunch of things and highlights. Um, like every injury, uh, we follow a, a standard pattern in doing our physical exam, getting our history. Um, in, case, uh, in the case of knee injuries, the history is really important. Uh, understanding the mechani mechanism can help identify the injury types. Uh, when you're observing them, make sure you observe them sitting down, standing, walking. Um, you want to note gait changes, muscle differences, uh, and range of motion differences. In your inspection, um, you're going to compare the normal side to the painful side. Um, really look for um, signs of trauma and leg length discrepancies. Um, a lot of knee injuries uh, have a high incidence or high risk of having neurovascular, uh, associated neurovascular injuries, so it's going to be important to note the neurovascular status both before uh, and after whatever interventions you do. Uh, and then remember that the stress testing is painful. I mean, you're going to cause a patient a lot of pain, so it's going to be the last thing you want to do. Start on the normal side first for comparison. Uh, in terms of associated injuries, uh, the most common associated injury is a uh, common perineal nerve injury. Um, so that uh, involves the deep perineal nerve, the superficial perineal nerve. On the here, you can see where the sensory function for uh, the DPN and the SPN are. Uh, in terms of motor dysfunction, they're going to have a loss of dorsiflexion and a loss of eversion, so they'll have a foot drop. And when they're ambulating, they're going to have a high stepping gait um, with a flopping step. Image here that shows uh, where all those nerves are. Um, common perineal nerve runs behind the knee on the lateral side and splits into the uh, deep and superficial branches. Um, and then don't forget about. Uh, big red thing behind the knee too. When you're doing stress testing, um, you want to test in, in all the modalities. You're going to do valgus stress to test for the medial collateral uh, ligament, varus, uh, varus stress for medial or lateral collateral ligament, uh, for the ACL um, Lockman's test and the pivot shift. Uh, I'm going to show a video and they show doing the anterior drawer test for the ACL. Uh, in fact, the anterior drawer test is only about 65% uh, sensitive. The Lockman's test is a much better test for that, uh, and then posterior drawer test. There's um, a series of videos by Dr. Hutchinson on YouTube. It has like 27 parts, really good for the knee exam. This is not one of his. This is a different one, um, but it's a really good series. It runs over 40 minutes, all, all 27 parts. Mm -hmm. So um, he showed stabilizing the... Uh, tibia with his forearms uh, when he's doing the ACL test. I actually kind of prop my hip up on the patient's bed and, and put a little pressure on their foot, and that gives me a lot more leverage when I'm doing it, because if, if you're doing that instead of Lockman's test, it's usually on somebody who's pretty big, and you might need that, might need that leverage. Um, you've done all your testing, you've gone, gone through the patient's story, and now you're trying to figure out whether this warrants imaging or not. Um, we use the auto and knee, knee rules, uh, so if any one of these criteria exist, you should go ahead and image. They're older than 55. If they have point tenderness at the fibular head, um, if they have isolated patellar tenderness, if they can't flex their knee greater than 90 degrees, uh, or if they had inability to bear weight at the time of injury and in the ER. There's also the uh, Pittsburgh knee rules. Uh, these are just as sensitive, but may be more specific than the Ottawa knee rules. And one of the other advantages, they may uh, be applicable in children as well. Um, so these only have three items. 
if they have a fall or a blunt tra trauma, basically an identified mechanism. Uh, if they're less than 12 years old or greater than 50, uh, or if they're unable to bear weight while they're in the ER. So once you've decided to get images, um, what images are you going to get? Uh, AP and lateral are sort of standard ones for us. If you're concerned about uh, particular tibial plateau fractures or tibial spine fractures, the oblique uh, view can be very helpful. Uh, tunnel views can be very helpful for tibial spine fractures as well. Um, sunrise views to evaluate the patella. Um, and then CT scan or MRI to further delineate difficult to image uh, fractures or soft tissue, images, soft tissue injuries. So moving on to fractures. For patella fractures, for those of you in the back row who can't see, that's not a normal patella. Um, there's a bunch of types of patella fractures. The uh, transverse fractures are the most common. Um, when they're displaced, they are more likely to have a disrupted sensor mechanism. Uh, the point with the patella fractures is the patient may actually be ambulatory when they come in. They may or may not have pain. Um, so don't rule out uh, a fracture just based on their ability to ambulate. Mechanism for patella fractures are generally uh, with direct impact. Uh, maybe from strong quadriceps contraction, like going downstairs. Uh, what we do in the ER is uh, elevate, compress, uh, mobilize, get them crutches. They can bear as tolerate, um, and then they can um, follow up with ortho uh, as an outpatient, unless uh, the fracture is disparate more than three millimeters, uh, in which case they need uh, ortho consult for an open reduction internal fixation. Uh, it's important to distinguish patella fractures from uh, the congenital bipartite patella pictured here. Generally, the congenital bipartite patella involves the superior lateral corner of the patella. It's bilateral, and it has smooth cortical margins. Ignore the big red arrow. Uh, this one. Uh, for femoral condylar fractures, uh, they can be uh, supracondylar intercondylar, uh, condylar, or they can involve the dis distal epiphysis. Again, the mechanism for these generally a fall with axial loading. Uh, what we do in the ER is splint them and stabilize them. Uh, if the fracture is displaced or there's joint incongruity, then they're going to need uh, an ortho consult for uh, open reduction internal fixation. Uh, these have a uh, uh, risk of popliteal artery injury. Uh, DVTs, fat emboli, uh, delayed union or malunion, and osteoarthritis. Tibial spine fractures. This is uh, the tunnel view. It's actually not very apparent, but you see on the next series of Im images how getting several images can, can help define it. This is um, the oblique view, a little better image, and then on the lateral you can see where the tibial spine is there. Mechanism for this is usually a force to the proximal tibia with the knee in a flex position. Uh, we immobilize uh, in full extension, and then again, if it's displaced, they're going to need uh, an ortho consult for internal fixation. Uh, if it's non-displaced, then they can just follow up in the ortho clinic. Uh, they're often associated with uh, ACL or PCL uh, injuries as well. Tibial Tuberosity fractures, um, these can be uh, um, non-displaced 
in which case we just immobilize them, or they can be displaced, in which case they need uh, open reduction internal fixation. Uh, generally, they're going to have point tenderness over the anterior uh, tibia, and they'll have pain on passive active extension. For tibial plateau fractures, um, there's a couple of different classification schemes. The most common one is the Schatzker uh, classification that's depicted here. Um, the other scheme is a more scheme, and understanding or memorizing these schemes isn't so important. Just recognizing that they exist, and you can look them up to the orthopedist, because a couple of these have um, very specific associations with um, neurovascular damage. So the Schatzker classification, which is the one that we use here, uh, or the orthopedists use here, uh, is the common one. More is actually where they associated fracture types with uh, ligamentous injury and neurovascular injury. And uh, uh, obviously the fracture types aren't exactly the same, but you can see that the Tillman-Moore class 3, class 5 have a high incidence of neurovascular injury, and those correlate to the Schatzker 4 and 6. So if we come back, um, type 4 and type 6 are the two that have a high incidence of uh, neurovascular injury. So it's important to uh, relay that to the orthopedist when you're calling them what, what you're looking at. Tibial plateau fractures generally happen as a result of a valgus or varus force uh, with axial loading. Again, we immobilize, um, and it can be non-weight bearing and follow up in orthoclinic unless it involves the articular surface uh, or it's depressed, so a type 4, type 6, in case they need uh, open reduction internal fixation. Again, uh, high incidence of neurovascular injury, popliteal artery, common perineal nerve are the two most common. Uh, high incidence of DVTs and osteoarthritis. Moving on to soft tissue injuries, just a review of the uh, of the knee ligaments. Remember that um, <clears throat> medial collateral ligament is contiguous with the medial meniscus. Injury one often uh, involves an injury to the other. For the ACL, uh, mechanism is usually non-contact. Uh, it's a deceleration hyperextension injury uh, with internal rotation. Uh, patients will often tell you, I heard or felt pop, and that's pretty much pathognomonic. Um, for soft tissue injuries, for ligamentous injuries, usually the fusion is very quickly onset within hours, uh, and it can be very painful. Um, diagnosis, as I mentioned before, is the best one is to use the lock test. You can use the uh, anterior drawer test if get your hands around a leg, uh, and there's a high association with medial meniscus tears. Does anybody know what this is? So that's a second fra fracture uh, on the lateral aspect of the uh, tibial, tibial plateau. That's a high association. About 75 to 100 percent of ACL uh, tears have an associated uh, second fracture, and about 65 to 75 percent of medial meniscus tears have a second fracture. For the PCL, the mechanism is usually a direct force to the tibia or lower leg. Again, they have quick onset of um, effusion. Uh, they may or may not have pain, and they may or may not have instability or weakness. Uh, on the physical exam, when you have their knee flexed on the table, you can see a posterior sag on, on the knee without doing, uh, generally without doing any uh, maneuvers. Uh, with the maneuver, they'll have a posterior drawer test. X-ray often shows a medial tibial plateau avulsion fracture. And then 
PCL tears are rarely isolated, um, uh, and the most common is to involve a tear. We stabilize those the way we normally do with everything else, um, put them in a knee immobilizer. It's really important with these that they do range of motions outside of their immobilizer so they don't lose uh, knee function. Uh, then they can follow up in orthoclinic. Vertical tears generally occur as a result of cutting, squatting, or twisting. Um, come in complaining of a locking or a like their, their knee is unstable. They don't actually often fall, but it just feels unstable. Uh, they'll describe a popping, clicking, or snapping inside their knee. Um, they'll get an effusion a few hours after activity that'll resolve on its own. Um, very commonly, they'll have line tenderness uh, along the, uh, the side of, of the tear. Uh, often they'll have quadriceps atrophy. There's no real good stress testing to evaluate for. Um, Meniscal tears, there's a few that are described, uh, but none of them are, are very, really very sensitive or specific. Um, the, the test of choice is to get an MRI and, and then to visualize it under arthroscopy. Uh, stabilization for us is to um, anti-inflammatories, do partial weight bearing, and then they can follow up with ortho. They come in and their knee is locked um, and they just can't extend their knee. Um, then under a uh, good amount of anesthetic, it may require uh, conscious sedation. What you can do is uh, dangle the leg over the side of their bed with the knee in a 90-degree flex position, and you apply downward uh, traction the knee to try to open the joint and use some uh, internal and external rotation to, try to get it over the, the piece of the meniscus that's stuck in the joint. Uh, if that doesn't then it's an ortho consult, and often they'll have to take them to the operating room to remove the frame. Knee dislocations are bad. Um, it takes a lot of force to, to tear everything apart. Uh, often the patient will come in and they have had spontaneous reactions, so you don't see what's going on. And that's because all of the ligaments and the, um, the capsule have been torn. Um, so if you get the story of a patient who a grossly unstable knee and they come in, reduced, or if you're doing your knee exam and everything is unstable in all directions, then you should suspect a um, uh, dislocation. Uh, the key here is to get early reduction. It's a very important to uh, document their neurovascular evaluation and they're going to need admission. Uh, there's a high incidence of vascular injury with these, so depending on your suspicion, uh, you may need vascular surgery involved in addition to the ortho service. And, um, and depending on your level of suspicion, uh, you can get an arteriography to evaluate the status of the blood vessels. Just follow serial exams. Patello dislocations, generally those happen as a result of twisting and extension. For lateral dislocations, you can uh, reduce these by flexing the hip, hyperextending the knee, and pushing the patella back into place. Again, it can be pretty painful, so it may require conscious sedation. Uh, don't forget to get a post-reduction uh, x-ray. If they have superior horizontal your condylar dislocations, that's an ortho consult for surgical intervention. Uh, once you've reduced the lateral dislocation, put them in a knee immobilizer, they can weight bear as tolerated anti-inflammatories, and they can just follow up with uh, their primary care physician or ortho. Uh, they have an incidence, of, a slight incidence of uh, joint capsule tears with those. Extensor tendon ruptures, uh, 
mechanism of generally forceful contraction or falling on a flexed knee. Uh, it can involve either the quadriceps tendon or the patellar tendon. Generally, in patients older than 40, it's going to be quadriceps tendon. In patients younger than 40, it's going to be patellar tendon, and often they have a history of tendonitis or steroid injections. Um, they're going to have pain and swelling, uh, inability to extend their knee against gravity or against light force, and a high-riding patella depicted here. This is an orthoconsult for surgical repair. Repair has to happen in about 7 to 10 days. For osteochondritis desiccans, um, that's a separation of the articular cartilage from the bone. Uh, etiology isn't really known. Generally happens in young people. It's usually unilateral and uh, involves the lateral aspect of the medial condyle. So this is the uh, medial aspect, uh, medial con sorry, yeah, sorry, lateral aspect of the medial condyle uh, as depicted here. Uh, they're going to complain of pain and swelling. There's going to be no inciting event. Um, the best view for this is the tunnel view that's depicted on the left, and treatment is basically just protective weight-bearing. Osteonecrosis is generally a result of an infarction. It can be primary or secondary. Uh, usually involves a medial femoral condyle. Uh, really requires an MRI uh, for, um, for diagnosis. Treatment, again, is protected weight-bearing, anti-inflammatories. If the disease is really advanced, uh, it may need an operation, either cutting out or drilling out the, um, the infarcted section, uh, and then some kind of grafting, or it may need a total knee replacement. For patellar tendinitis, uh, patient's going to come in complaining of patellar tendon pain. Usually it's in uh, runners, basketball players, people who jump, volleyball players, high jumpers. Um, it's worse when they go from a sitting position to a standing position or when they're running up a hill. Uh, they tend to have uh, very point tenderness. Treatment is uh, heat, anti-inflammatories, and quad strengthening exercises. And uh, a lot of them, there's a temptation to give a steroid in and that's not a good idea. It tends to predispose them to rupture. Malacia patelli is an uh, overuse injury from a tracking abnormality, um, causing lateral pressure on the articular cartilage. It's usually in young females. Uh, they'll come complaining of anterior near pain, knee pain. That's worse with stairs or standing from sitting. You can diagnose this with a patellar compression test where um, you have the knee in sort of relaxed, uh, slight little bit of flexion, um, and you, uh, or sorry, yeah, extended, and when you pull up, push on the patella, it's pretty painful. The apprehension test where you have them relaxed, uh, slightly uh, flexed, and as you push on the patella, uh, they'll kind of tighten up their quad uh, from the pain. Treatment for this is rest, uh, anti-inflammatories, and quad strengthening exercises. Patients may also come in presenting uh, after post-arthroscopy. Usually they're complaining of pain and swelling. They'll have effusions. Um, if you suspect a joint infection, and you should have a low suspicion uh, or, or a low threshold of suspicion for joint infections, go ahead and get an arthrocentesis. Uh, if this is non-infectious, uh, the treatment is an injection uh, into the joint of bupivacaine or morphine. Uh, morphine may be a little more effective and may last a little longer. And then penetrating injury in for, foreign bodies. So this is clearly not x-ray. <laughs> 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 uh, 
um, for penetrating injuries, you can confirm a penetrating injury with a methylene blue test where you inject methylene blue and look for a gravization. It's, remember, it's really important to understand the mechanism that it happened. Um, try to recreate the position of the knee when you're doing the injection. Because if they had their knee flexed and then you inject it with an extended knee, it might actually be occluding the uh, tract uh, for, the, for the outflow. Um, it's orthoconstant for open irrigation uh, if they do have penetration into the joint. Uh, and for foreign bodies, again, it's an orthoconsult for open removal. What we can do in the, in the ER is make sure that they're, they're getting some antibiotics uh, and that their tetanus is up. And that's it.